This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon. The health minister has warned that we're now in a legal limbo that leaves doctors in a daunting position. But others say it makes little difference that as of today, there is no law on assisted dying. We know the defunct law banning the practice is unconstitutional and there are provincial guidelines in place. The premier here has said that people can go through their doctors, that they won't have to go to court. While the Canadian Medical Association has advised its members not not to move forward without legal advice. Uh, do doctors expect to suddenly be deluged with requests and what are they planning to do? I'm on the line with Dr. Gary Roden. He is the chair of palliative care at the University Health Network, the head of the Department of Supportive Care at the Princess Margaret Cancer Center and a pre- professor of psychiatry and psychosocial oncology at the University of Toronto. Dr. Roden, thanks so much for joining us. Hi, Libby. Uh, what is your reaction to the fact that there is no law in place today? Is that a, a big problem for you? Well, we're in about the same situation as we are, we were in yesterday. Uh, it hasn't changed things. I, I think we now know, as you said, that the prohibition on assisted dying has been um, declared void by the Supreme Court, so it is now legal. The guidelines are are a little unclear, um, which is why uh, um, everyone uh, looks forward to the federal legislation being introduced. Um, on the other hand, I think it is possible uh, for it to go ahead now. Um, have, I'm, I'm assuming that you have met with your team and discussed what to do in this void? Yes, we've actually been engaged for the last number of months in quite a complex process. Trying to, We've established a kind of protocol for this to occur, um, taking into account all the ensuring the rights of the patients and also safeguards. And, and is, is your protocol different than what is being laid out in the proposed law? Well, it's a little more specific. The the law, as we've seen it so far, doesn't really uh, have a degree have that kind of specificity that we would need to actually implement it. Um, oh, can you be is specificity where? Well, for example, I mean, one is uh, one as- one aspect of it is who is eligible. The Supreme Court said that it's for individuals who have a grievous and irremediable illness, disease, or disability that's causing enduring suffering. It's intolerable to the individual. Um, some people want the criteria to be broader than that um, and to include mental illness. So far, the legislation does not include that. We've also been trying to take into account um, issues about of conscientious objection. Some healthcare providers do not want to participate in this. Mm-hmm. And uh, what we have done at the University Health Network is um, reminded people that all the healthcare providers are obliged to, to talk about this with their patients. They must discuss it and allow people to know about the options and to refer people that's appropriate. But we've created a separate team to assess people and a, yet another separate team to deliver the intervention. And those teams are made up of healthcare providers who volunteered. So we've not obliged 
any healthcare provider to actually participate in either the assessment or delivery of it. So if if uh, you want this service uh, in Toronto, in the area of the University Health Network, you'll have three kind of non-related doctors to assess it, uh, or two, sorry, and uh, and then somebody else who might carry it out. Yes, there'll be the people providing the clinical care, uh, two separate people who will do the assessment, and then there'll be people who deliver the intervention with a space in between. And uh, should you get a request today, are you just going to move ahead with those guidelines? Or are you going to seek legal advice? Well, uh, we will be moving ahead cautiously with this process, and uh, the Ontario, the Provincial uh, Ministry of Health has suggested that it might be wise to um, make application to the Ontario Superior Court. It's not strictly speaking necessary, according to the Supreme Court, but they have suggested, and some people suggest that might be an additional um, protection. Well, it's interesting because we've just heard that the Premier says you don't have to go to court. Well, that's true. You don't have to, although the Ministry of Health is, uh, in their guideline today, um, said that um, um, that it might be wise. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, uh, so... We said, said, while not required by the Supreme Court, we encourage patients and healthcare providers to seek further clarity about how the Supreme Court's decision applies to their particular circumstances by bringing an application to the Ontario Superior Court of Justice. So I think it's just an additional protection. Okay, uh, hold on there, Dr. Roden. I'm just going to give the numbers out again so people can call in. It's 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. We're talking about the fact that there is no law in place on assisted dying. I'm on the line with Dr. Gary Roden, who has a protocol in place for the University Health Network. So, Dr. Roden, if, if somebody makes this asks for this today, are you going to consult your lawyers or go to court first or just move ahead? We will, for a patient who's a patient of the University Health Network, we will move ahead with the process and we will, uh, we, we, if there hasn't a case that's gone to the Ontario Superior Court yet, if, there, if they haven't made a ruling, then we will also submit application probably to them as well. Uh-huh. It may be that if a case goes to the Ontario Superior Court, they will rule that it's no longer necessary. Oh, okay. So the court can can rule that it's no longer necessary for them to rule. I presume they can. I'm not an expert on the legal side of it, but I presume they can. Have you seen any change in the weeks leading up uh, to this? Are there more requests? Can you give us an idea of how many of these requests you would get? Well, we have seen some requests come in just now. Um, um, because there are, I think there have been people who have been waiting until um, June 6th uh, in order for this to happen. So we are seeing some cases come forward now. You know, there are many people who want who have this idea, who want to talk about it, and who have some feeling about it. Many of those will not necessarily proceed. It's an idea that people are, are, are uh, considering. Um, uh, um, many of those people may not actually proceed with it. Um, we don't yet know how many people will actually proceed Well, it's interesting. You know, we know that in Oregon, where this is legal in certain circumstances, uh, where people have to be able to get the prescription and take it themselves, that that only a small percentage of people who get the prescription actually take it. Well, only a small, correct, only a small number of people want, you know, ask for the prescription and then only a percentage of those actually take it. You know, I think the majority of, of people in a country like Canada are in favor of it, mostly as a sort of plan B. They feel a sense of uh, control by knowing this would be available if they want it. Most people actually want to live as long as possible. So it's only a small minority of people, even people with a serious illness, most people want to live as long as possible. 
And do you find, uh, I, I know that you're at Princess Margaret, yeah. so um, the majority of people there obviously uh, would have terminal cancer that you yeah. deal with, and that even if they want this process, um, it, in, in that case, it would usually be, you know, very close to the time they would naturally uh, pass away. Well, there are some people who want this earlier as a, to have a sense of control. That happens often in, even more in other illnesses like um, neurological, deteriorating neurological conditions where people want um, to take matters into their own hands before they lose uh, control of their capacities. Uh, right, yeah, but in, in something like cancer, it, it would probably be at the end when it becomes really, really intolerable. I'm, it's, you know, uh, many people think that it's about intolerable pain. It's usually not. It's it's much more about the sense of control over the circumstances of dying than it is about pain because most of the time, you know, we can't control pain. And the uh, the data from Oregon suggests this. You know, the data from Oregon when they've looked uh, at who requests assisted dying, um, in 92 percent of cases it was um, about the loss of autonomy. 75 percent of cases the loss of dignity. In only 29% was it a concern about pain. And even then, it wasn't always pain. It was concern about pain. I see. So people were worried that they would be in an intolerable pain as opposed to being there. It's much more often about the loss of control than it is about pain. It can be about that. But the issue of autonomy and control is, I think, an extremely important um, motivator. Mm -hmm. Now, one thing that I find interesting that you have all of this in place at the University Health Network, and I think in general, patients who get there are are fortunate, but uh, I'm, I'm assuming that access is is not going to be that organized elsewhere in the province and in the country. Well, the Ministry of Health, the Ontario Ministry of Health said that there will be a, a referral service. We have actually undertaken the initiative at University Health Network because there hasn't been a, an organized approach. We think it would have been preferable at a provincial or even federal level if there had been, you know, a a single approach and a, a set of uh, a protocol that was developed. Um, but in the absence of that, we felt that we needed to be prepared for uh, this time when it became legal. So uh, are you are you saying that somebody uh, in uh, Stouffville or Newmarket or London, Ontario is, is going to have the same access as someone here? Well, in the end, the provincial government will have to ensure access, but I, I don't think it's made clear exactly how that is all going to happen. Mm-hmm. Or, or to what extent uh, um, um, institutions, healthcare institutions, will be obliged to provide it. There are some institutions who have said they don't want to provide it. It's, mm. un- it's unclear how that will emerge. And uh, can you give me an idea? You said that both the teams are voluntary. You know, what right. percentage of the people in the uh, on your teams were are willing to provide this care? I don't. I can't tell you that. I mean, our 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 teams are a small percentage of all the healthcare providers at the hospital because we don't need a lot of people um, to be on those teams. Uh, so I, we haven't really done a survey now. We've asked for volunteers, and and but we didn't we didn't survey everyone to see who would be willing. But we asked for volunteers and uh, who were suitable, and volunteers came forward. I see. And are they all uh, palliative care people? No, no. There are various kinds of doctors and nurses and other kinds of people. Okay, uh, Dr. Rolden, hold on. I'm going to take a call. We okay. will take a call. Okay. We've got Martin in Brampton. Hi, Martin. Hi, Libby. How are you? Fine. How are you? Very good. I want to ask a question about uh, Jack Kevorkian. About 20 years ago, I think, he went. He was criminally charged for, right. for assisted suicide. Right. Right. 
wasn't he? Do, do you know much yes. about that? Yes, I think that's correct. Yes. That was before there were any laws uh, allowing this. That's right. So, so now the doctors of Ontario, with all these people that have requests, well, I mean, do the same laws apply? No, there isn't. Jack Kevorkian back then? No. Uh, First of all, that was in another country, and the law banning assisted medical assistance in dying has been struck down by the Supreme Court. There is now no law in place, but as uh, Dr. Roden was explaining, there are guidelines in place. It was illegal, and now it is no longer illegal in Canada. So so Jack Kevorkian went to prison. Yep. That was in another country and in another time. But that was in the United States. Yep. But it's true. You're right that laws change. <laughs> laws change. Things that are illegal at one time, uh, the country has a right to change the law and say it's no longer illegal. That's one of the reasons I'm assuming that he chose to break the law and be quite public about it so that the laws yes. would change. Yeah, that's true. So do you think he's a pioneer in the... The the advent of uh, assisted suicide? Assisted dying? Um, probably, yes. What do you think, Dr. Roden? Sure. Well, people like that have brought this to the attention of the public. I think it, I think Libby's right that it was a, an attempt at advocacy, and he was willing to, to accept the penalty. So I'm sure it brought... Uh, it brought it to the awareness of the public. But I, I think the main thing is that public attitudes have just changed, that there wasn't such such widespread public support for this at one time. And now if they do surveys in countries like Canada or Western countries, 70% of the population now support this. So I'm sure that has a lot to do with the decision of the Supreme Court. Okay, Martin, thank you for your call. Uh, Dr. Roden, uh, we're going to have to take a break pretty okay. shortly. But uh, just uh, wrapping up this, uh, you know, do you think that we are in this uh, legally daunting situation? And, and what do you want to tell our listeners? I think access to this will be ensured. Um, I think it's a little bit ambiguous, and I think but people are going to be proceeding cautiously and carefully, which is not a bad idea in such a circumstance. It's a, still a small percentage of people that will, uh, will want this. And I think sometimes it's misunderstood as a major solution to end-of-life care. Palliative care, of course, we need for everyone. Only a small percentage of people will want assisted dying. Yeah, and and do you is again is is you mentioned the control? Is that the reason why the issue uh, is such a big issue? I guess in relation to the number of people who will actually access it. I think so. That's why many people who wouldn't access nevertheless want it available. You know, it's like being able to say, "I, I like my job, but I like to be able to quit it if I don't like it anymore." It's that kind of having that kind of sense of control. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. That's what they found in Oregon. Yes. Uh, Dr. Roden, thank you very much for your time. Appreciate it very thank much. Thank you very much. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.